Where the hell have you been, soldier? Training, sir! Training, sir! What kind of training, son? Pizza training, sir! Welcome to another fabulous episode of Drew and Sam Talk Training in episode 126. Drew and Sam are going to discuss the joy of living in Ann Arbor when Michigan wins a championship by talking about the team, the team, the team. I am Drew Helmholtz with Better Than Yesterday Consulting. And I am Sam with Bowser Consulting. Drew, I'd be lying if I didn't tell you on this ninth day of January after staying up well past midnight watching maize and blue confetti fall in the great city of Houston that I was not a little tired, but it's that good tired, you know? Yeah, I got you. A little, little high from what the team you've rooted for all your life. Yeah. And for the second time in your life? Well, second national championship? I mean, people would say it's the second, uh, you know, because of 1997, but 97 was split and it wasn't a playoff and there was another team that was undefeated. And I think they've got a legitimate gripe for saying that Michigan wasn't the actual national champion that year. If they had played on the field, who knows what happens, but that's not the case in 2024. We know how it played out. For those of you that don't understand the reference, just look it up on YouTube. It's fine. There you go. And who's got it better than us? Nobody. And if you don't understand the reference, just look it up online. Or just reach out to Jack Harbaugh and he'll he'll tell you about shoveling snow with his two sons and making it fun. So we've talked about uh, the amazing Maze in Blue and their 15-0 and 0 amazing season, taking out Alabama, Ohio State, Penn State, Maryland, and last night, Washington. What a run. And you know, it, it taught me something uh, great about Domino's Pizza franchisees and how awesome they can be last night as I was watching that game. How so? You and I both do a lot of work in um, what people around here would call that state down south, or also known as Ohio. And I got a text from one of our clients whose mother-in-law is like the president of the Ohio State Buckeyes fan club. And the text, and for those of you that aren't familiar with the Michigan-Ohio State rivalry, um, it can get a little heated. And there are some, si- some fans on both sides of that rivalry that are more interested in the other side losing than their side winning. But I got a text last night from this gentleman. Um, oh, heck, I'll just say it. Uh, Stephanie, get ready to drink. Anthony Satterwhite texted me and said, congratulations on the win. And I thought that was very sporting and very, very nice. So, Anthony, thanks for that text last night. You know, the thing about that is I would fully expect that when the roles were reversed a few years ago, you probably did the same. I'm not one of those I cheer for your teams to lose guy. I am. I choose for Big Ten teams to win unless they're playing the Big Ten team that I root for. So I don't have this Michigan, Michigan State thing or Michigan, Ohio State thing. 
I want all the Big Ten teams to win unless they're playing Michigan. So again, Anthony, you rock. So what should we talk about? So I opened with with saying, like, it's kind of fits today. If we go and we talk about the team, the team, the team, friend of the show, Dave Brandon had a class he used to put on around the team, the team, and the team. Yeah, I wonder where he got that from. Correct. <laughs> so, Sam, why don't you explain uh, where this phrasing comes from? So, if you if you get on YouTube or or open up your Google machine and um, Google Michigan head coach Bo Schembechler, the team, the team, the team, you'll see a short, I don't know, two maybe three minute video of him addressing his team in the locker room and he talks all about the importance of you looking out for each other and it's all about the team the team the team it's not about who can make the fastest pizza it's not about who can be the best oven tender it's not about who's the best driver it's about the weakest link in that chain is going to determine what your what your outcomes are and what metrics you produce so you've got to be looking out for each other and you've got to make sure that the entire team is rowing the boat in the same direction i mean if you've got the strongest rower in the world and he's backwards in the boat and 12 people are rowing one way and he's rowing the other way you're not going to get to where you want to go even though you've got the best rower the team the team the team is all about making sure everybody is on the same page everybody has a dedicated mission everybody has a job to do and they get it done so how can we translate that for those that are sticking around through the first three minutes of the Michigan joy that you felt? Well, I think that the important thing is one of the things we talked and you talked about it a couple of episodes ago, and that's doing that position chart. It's so much easier for the team to succeed when everybody on the team knows what their job is. And without people knowing what their job is, then they can't get it done. You know, I think the other thing is that our leaders have to understand what their team's capable of and they have to be constantly driving them towards the next step so that they can be better than yesterday. Well, well placed to add. Thank you for that so much. You're welcome. How do you think that this Bo Schembechler 50-year-old, the team, the team, the team can translate to a Domino's pizza store to help them sell more pizza, have more fun, make their job easier, make work smaller, all of those things that we've talked about. So I go back to when I saw Dave do his presentation around this because he used the movie Hoosiers. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And if you've ever seen the movie, Dave's thing was, this is the movie Hoosiers without any of the sappy love story. Right, 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 right. God, that was the first <laughs> thing that went through my head when you started this too. He was like, Without this stupid love story, this would be a great movie. <laughs> so if you boil down the movie, it's about instilling a culture of basics, accountability, and that you're as responsible for the person next to you as they are responsible for you. Mm -hmm. And that's where you get to the team, the team, the team. But to your point earlier, to get there, then I need the basics, right? I need, I need to be fundamentally sound. Um, 
there's parts in the movie where he's making those guys dribble around. It's about a high school team in Indiana that ends up winning the state championship. He has them dribbling around chairs. And one of the star players is like, I don't need to do this. I'm better than that. And he basically does the, you're part of the team. So you're either doing this or you're not a part of the team. And he ends up kicking a bunch of the air quote best players off the team because to your point earlier, they're not rowing in the same direction. They're out for their own stat. They're out for their own glory. Right. And, and didn't he invite so many people to leave that he either got down to five or maybe even four or was it, he got down to five and he was in a game and somebody fouled out and they had to play with four or something. Correct. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's how dedicated he was to creating the culture he wanted. And, and you know, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't say that in this process that we're both saying is a good way to go, that from where you're at right now to where you want to get to that journey is going to be painful. There are going to be some really bad days, but unless you make the commitment to get to where you want to be, then you're going to have really bad days forever. See, that's, that's just it. Do you want, do you want the hope of a few bad days for, for something great on the other side? Or do you want to just always just have it suck? Right. Yeah. 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 And then, you, you know, you talk about how bad Domino's is, or we can't do this, or we can't do that. And, you know, for me, it always boils down to what are you committed to? And how much investment are you willing to put in the front end to get the results and the metrics you want on the back end? And and for some of the folks out there, the back end could be weeks, months, many months away, but it's never coming if you don't commit to making the journey. So then can I, can I just mention something? I think you and I've talked about it before, but that whole idea of I'm a new manager, I'm a new supervisor, and I'm going to learn my team and take it slow. And I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I need to get to know what everybody can do. I completely agree with you. You need to get to know what everybody can do. Yep. You need to do that day one. Whatever the drill is, don't wait two weeks. Don't wait a month. Just go. Well, and I think, you know, I was always a big believer in in going in very slowly and softly and and getting them on your team before you started making sweeping changes. And I'm I'm not that way anymore. I think you have to go in with your expectations. I think what I haven't changed is that I think you still need to go in not like a drill sergeant not go in with shock and awe. You need to simply go in and say, hey, these are the standards. This is what we're what we're going towards. And when the, you get pushback, you just look at them and I think you apologize to them and say, listen, I'm so sorry. Nobody held you to standards like this before, but we're going to be a winning team now. And I want you to be on that team. And, and again, I'm so sorry that nobody ever gave you the training and resources you needed to be successful. And then I change my demeanor, I change my face, I change my voice. And I say, but I got great news. We're going to do that starting now. And then you, you go in and you start it. You know, I'm with you. I mean, for, for years and years, I told people, go in, get to know your team and then start making changes. And it's just not, that's just not a good approach because the time for change is now. Let's take it out of the, the pizza shop. Since, since we're talking Michigan football, 
when Jim Harbaugh came to Michigan, was it because the previous coach had done such an amazing job? No. Coaching changes don't usually happen, although we're about to. Right. There's probably going to be one, but but coaching changes don't usually happen at the pinnacle. That is correct. Okay, cool. So imagine if you would, if Jim Harbaugh had taken over, gosh, what is it now? Five years ago? Six? You know what? Lucas is laughing at both of us because he probably knows the exact date, but. I don't know. The pandemic skews time. So I, I, it was pre-pandemic. It does indeed. I, I have a Google machine. You Google while I get to my point here. Imagine if you would for a moment that Jim Harbaugh takes over this team that was not a good team. Yep. Uh, hadn't hadn't beaten Ohio State in something silly like four or five years. Or 10 or 10. I know I was trying to soften that blow, but it's fine. No, because we're going to get why well, my Ohio friends will definitely jump on that as well. They should well, nine years, nine years. He's started, been here nine years already. Started in 2015. Where is time gone? Okay. So he's been here nine years. And the first five years were rough. So, but imagine if that first year he came in and he was like, Hey, you know what? Um, no, we didn't have a, a winning record last year. We're keeping most of the players on. We're going to keep the playbook on. Uh, we're not going to change a lot because we just want to see what everybody can do. He wouldn't have lasted nine years. Yeah, there you go. We have to be really careful to make sure that we connect this back t- to what our folks do because sports is becoming less and less prevalent with our listeners and with the people we we train. But the other thing that I, I, I think Jim did really well was four years ago, he realized the course he was taking wasn't working. And and he changed his entire coaching staff so that they were less like him and more like his players. His coaching staff got extremely younger and more hip and could connect with the players more. So I think it's really important that you make sure that you're you're current with what with what the kids are doing so that you can communicate with them. You don't have to like it. You don't have to do it. But you have to be able to communicate with them and you have to be able to understand your team, your team, your team, if you want to create great results. And I think that was an eye-opening experience for him four or five years ago. Well, and the movie does something like that because you start off with where the coach is basically my way or the highway and we're going to just do basics and yelling at them when they don't pass enough or when they pass too much to where you get to the championship game and he's like, what is it you guys want to do? Because he knows and he trusts them at that point. He knows they'll call the right play because he put the work in. Right. You know, one of the things I talk about a lot in my workshops is something I've, I've called, I've, I've labeled the delegation matrix. And the way the delegation matrix works is the first time I assign you a task, my trust in your ability to do it to my expectations is very low. It's above zero or I would not have delegated it to you. But because my trust in you to get it done the way I want it done is very low, my need for verification is extremely high. And from the outside looking in, that appears to be micromanagement. No, it's just actually management. Yeah, yeah, right. As we go through the process where you start to show me that you can dribble around the chairs. And when we get to the championship game, now my level of trust is high and my need for verification is low. And that's where the magic happens. That's where you can go to your team member and say, hey, are you ready for the dinner rush? And they say yes. And you say, let's do it. Whereas at the beginning of that 
delegation matrix, you say, are you ready for the dinner rush? And they say, yes. And you say, show me everything <laughs> because I'm not sure our expectations are. I look at it like it goes from micromanagement where I have to tell you how to do everything because the assumption is, and the, the results should be that you don't know how to do it to management where I have to guide you to leadership, where I call the play to delegation, where you're kind of doing. And if you think of it that way, then, then it all starts to flow and make sense on, on how to motivate your team and move your team forward. Yeah. And I, you know, I like where we're going with this because I think it's, it's an important thing for leaders that are at the beginning of their path to finding greatness have to understand. And there's a couple of things that I think are, are vitally important if you want to be successful in this business or any other business. And for us, the first one is, you know, I'm sure you get this question all the time, Drew. How do I get my team to care as much as I do? And if you've got something to write with right now, you're going to want to write this answer down because I'm about to give you the silver bullet. You can't. There's no way you can get your team to care as much as you do. The reason is, is you've decided this is a career. And we're in food service. These are entry-level jobs. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing to be ashamed about. But they're entry-level jobs. And a year from now, most of the people that are on your schedule are not going to be on your schedule because they're on to doing whatever it is their calling in life is. So the key thing that you've got to do is make them understand what your expectations are while they're here and get the best out of them while you have them. They're just not going to care as much as you. I don't know how else to put it. And that's okay. I'm laughing only because like when I'm teaching my supervisor class, I'll have supervisors say something along those lines. And my usual answer is that's why you're here and they're not. Right. This is the path you've chosen. And you know, every once in a while and under the full moon, a team member steps up and decides that they'd like to make it a, a career. And then they do start to care. And that's wonderful. If you've got a staff of 25, 35, 55, 100 people, not many of them are going to care as much as you do. And you just need to get over that. So, so that's the first thing. And the second thing I, I think that's really hugely important, and this is, I, I don't know if I've shared this with you before, but this is kind of my new thing. Everybody says that there's no such thing as common sense in the world anymore. And I would say of all the tasks we have to do at a Domino's pizza store, which one of them should be common sense? And my feeling is none of them. Until you've been shown how to do it, until you learn how to do it, none of them. You know, we had Don May on, on the podcast and he said he remembered his first job and the owner of the fruit stand grocery store taught him how to mop the floor. And we've got leaders that think mopping the floor should be common sense or doing dishes should be common sense. I mean, I've been to your house. It's beautiful. I'm pretty sure there's not a three compartment sink in there. There is not. You know, how would people know how to use a three compartment sink until they're taught? I used that in my last class. Like we have to teach them how to set it up. We have to teach them everything. We have to stop making assumptions that they know what we know. If they knew what we knew, they'd be where we're at. Now, I think where the common sense pieces come in are the micro Pell, no talent pieces, but that's not common sense. That's expectations. Right. I can't assume anything. I have to tell you up front. The expectation is this is what the image is that you're on time. Yeah. And that you smile for the customers. I have to set that expectation. 
I can assume that you understand when I say you've got to smile for customers. That means you actually smile for customers. Right. Let's talk about this idea of common sense. If I'm much younger than I am, I've grown up in a world where customer service is not what it was when you and I grew up. I've grown up in a world where McDonald's transactions are more common than Chick-fil-A experiences. If I want my team member to use their common sense based on their experiences, I am not going to get the kind of actions with my customers that I want. And then I'm going to wonder why they don't have any common sense. And what I should be wondering is why didn't I train them better? Why didn't I set full-fledged expectations? Boom, there it is. It's just crazy. And we've got to do those things if we want the team, the team, the team to be successful. You know, we've been doing this a long time and we joke around that we have a drinking game and we mention things often. I think part of the reason that we get to this place of talking about expectations and the basics so much is that as often as we're in stores, it's still lacking. Is that a fair way to put it? Yes. You're on the tip of the iceberg. I think not only is it lacking, I think there's a reason why it's lacking. And that's that our leaders believe that once I've told you something once, you should have it committed to memory and you should be able to execute it. I love when I get the opportunity to sit in on managers meetings or sit in on DM meetings and the DM will talk to the managers and say, I asked you to do this. And I'll say, hey, can I jump in for just a second? And he'll, they'll usually, of course, say yes, because they're paying us to be there. And I'll say to the managers, so what I'm hearing right now is the district manager asked you to do something once and you didn't accomplish it. If you had asked your team member to do something once and you didn't ac- accomplish it, you would be probably saying, why do I have to tell you things more than once? It's because we're human. And it's because I think it, it, it goes super deep, like Mel Robbins said, in talking about our reticular activation system. We hear what we want to hear. We hear what's important to us and we act on what's important to us. Sometimes we have to say things more than once because it's important to us, but not important to the person that's going to do it. That doesn't make them a bad person. That doesn't make them a lazy team member. That makes them makes them human. And, and, and it means they have a value system that's different than yours. There's nothing wrong with that. We're getting deep. Uh, I know way deeper than where I thought this was going to go, but, but it's fine. I like looking at it this way. Like if you're going to tell your team to do something, how do you expect them to remember it? It's when I'm teaching a supervisor class and we talk about the debrief at the end. Years ago, it was to leave something in triplicate. <laughs> because, you know, if you have carbon copy paper, someone's going to look at it in the store because it's in triplicate. Oh, my God. I teach now to send an email. And they're like, but only the manager will see it. I'm like, you know what? It's really not for the manager. It's for you because you're going to have to follow up. You're going to have to talk about it. You're going to have to ask about it. And this one thing you're asking for, you're going to have to bring up five, six, seven times in the next three weeks. And it might still not get done. And that's okay. It's kind of funny that we can talk that common sense isn't that common, but it's because we've become experts at things and we don't realize or we have forgotten the amount of time and effort it took for us to become the expert in that thing. 
And we just expect somebody else to, to hear our glorious words of wisdom and then go do whatever it is is being asked of them without writing anything down. You know, I think that the greatest example in the history of Sam's world of that is on a sunny day in Framingham, Massachusetts, 40 years ago, when I was trying to teach my now lovely wife, Cindy, how to drive a stick shift. And I just couldn't understand how she couldn't do something so simple. And then I remembered when I learned how to drive a stick shift and how many times I stalled that son of a gun and how many things went wrong. We just get to a point where we've got to make sure that that we understand what's going on. And it's tough. We've mentioned a 40-year-old movie. We've mentioned stick shifts that basically don't exist anymore. Well, well, wait, 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 wait. I just read an article yesterday that over 50% of the Cadillac Blackwings sold last year, over 50% of them had a six-speed transmission. Now, they probably only <laughs> sold 12, but because it's in a really expensive, fast car. But uh, yeah, 50% had stick shifts. You've got your thinking cap on right now. I have learned that numbers, percentages without secondary numbers, um, lack context. I could say I'm 100% better than I was yesterday at lifting weights. And if I only lifted weights for a minute, all I have to do is two minutes today. And that would be 100%, but 100% sounds amazing. 50% of a Cadillac Blackwing is probably seven cars. Or, or, or you're going to tell me Fiat, right? Wasn't it Fiat who, uh, who sold fewer cars than they have dealerships in the United States last year? So 2023 CT5 Blackwing sales. 120. So 60 of them were stick shifts. Right. So valued special listeners. I apologize <laughs> for the old man screaming at the sky takes in this episode <laughs> as we talk about stick shifts and 40-year-old movies. Now, Sam, go ahead and do your recap. And just one last stick shift thing. I had the extreme pleasure of driving a stick shift recently. It was a little blue car with a very powerful six-cylinder engine. And for those of you listening that know what I'm talking about, just thanks again for the seat time. It was amazing. Today, we talked about the team, the team, the team. How important it is to set expectations. I'm so glad after 120 some episodes, we finally got to the importance of setting expectations. That was good. I'm we have never discussed that before. Sorry about that, listeners. We talked about the importance of delegation and how at the beginning it's training and to the end it's coaching and there's a path. We talked about your team members and them not caring as much about the business, the metrics and the results as you do. And that's okay as long as you can lead them to produce them. The importance of follow-up. And we talked about that mythical thing called common sense that we all wonder where it is. And my thoughts are it never existed in the first place. What I missed. Damn, that was a lot for one little episode. I think we should just call it and take the rest of the month off because clearly we touched on like 12 topics here. We did. That's pretty amazing. This has been episode 126 of Drew and Sam Talk Training. In the event you have not done so already, like us, follow us, subscribe, share with your friends and family on the socials, on the gram. Because when you share, 
it matters more than two old guys who talked about the Hoosiers movie and stick shifts sharing on social media. So if you like us, share it with your friends. I'm Drew with Better Than Yesterday Consulting. And I am Sam with Bowser Consulting. And before we give you our tagline at the end, just like to take a, a short moment to recognize the passing of Domino's Pizza legend, Richard Mueller. If you ever had the chance to be around Richard, he was just an amazing and inspiring leader. And I was thinking in my head over the last couple of weeks, I wonder how many Domino's Pizza people that he has influenced either personally or secondhand. And I think a low guess would be tens of thousands. Yeah, I would say it's probably on the low end. Yeah, because anybody that was ever around Richard uh, knew his passion, knew how much he wanted to serve the rest of the Domino's pizza world. And much like his brother, Glenn, he was an amazing lifelong learner. He was always looking for the next thing. So um, our, our thoughts go out to the entire RPM family. It's a great loss for the Domino's brand. So with that said, gang, go out, sell more pizza. And have more fun. That's all, folks.